Good morning, everybody. We are in the book of Psalms. As you, uh, one guy, he said, well, how are you going to fit Ecclesiastes across there when you get there? I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. But uh, Psalm 38, if you need a Bible, our ushers are uh, delighted to bring you a copy of God's Word. And uh, we're just going to continue to just keep on keeping on through this. Uh, much needed. And uh, a little handout for you, I'm going to call this message Anchored from Above, and would love very much uh, for you to have that card on your way out and kind of just keep it in your Bible, uh, tucked into Psalm uh, 38. Uh, I love the fact that we can gather together and... Uh, sing a song such as the one we just sang, easy to sing, uh, and, and easy to say, hard to do, hard to really fully surrender. And David writes a psalm to help us, um, to assist us in accomplishing exactly that, and it's the 38th psalm. Uh, and again, it's one of those that, uh, sadly, a lot of preacher types, um, you know, end up skipping uh, in their study through the Psalms, uh, sadly, because it's, it's one of those that, um, it's got some meat to it. I mean, it's a heavy psalm, but it is fitly spoken for such a time as this. There's 22 verses. And uh, the timing of it, I, I, don't, I don't think could be any better. Sort of like what we looked at last weekend together for Father's Day was just so teed up by the Lord. Uh, and this as well. So 22 for 22. And um, if you're going to get anywhere in life, uh, you're going to need some help. You're going to need a few things. You're going to need a rudder. Uh, otherwise, the book of James tells us you're just going to be tossed to and fro uh, by the storms and the, and the, and the winds of, of culture, and it certainly has been uh, a week like that, that once again has uh, divided our nation right down the middle. You're going to need a rudder. You're going to need a, uh, a decision as to who's at the helm of your life. Who's at the wheel? Um, you're going to need an anchor. Something that can hold you uh, firm and, uh, and secure, that you're, that you're fastened to, and uh, you're going to need some instruments to help guide and, and direct you along the way. And uh, so I, I'm just absolutely thrilled and honored and privileged that you're here and that we turn uh, really to God's word for all of that. Again, in the book of James, James talks about a ship. And how this, you know, immensely huge uh, vessel is controlled by a really small little rudder. And how oftentimes that's our tongue. Uh, for out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And um, that the Lord Jesus Christ would have full control over what we say, and, uh, and how we act, and how we react, and, and, and what we do, and, 
and, and ultimately is the rudder that helps keep us on course and to navigate us regardless of how stormy the seas might be, that he is our rudder. And, uh, and then again, just sort of asking yourself, even as we look at Psalm 38 together, who's at the wheel? Like this picture of like who's got, and if it's still you, slide over. <laughs> it's time to nominate Jesus to take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. And uh, anchor will get to this whole idea that we're anchored from above. And uh, ultimately, as all of my pilot friends will continue to remind me, uh, VFR is risky. VFR means you're, you're flying visually. You're trusting in what you see. And sadly, a lot of times, what we see can deceive us. Uh, and if you know pilots, they'll tell you times in which they have thought that up was actually down and down was actually up and they can get off course really easy if they're just trusting in their own instincts or what they visually see. VFR, visual flight rules, that's a risky way to fly. You want some instruments. You want IFR. You want to be able to trust in something beyond your own instinct of, of how you're viewing life. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord. Like that together we could believe that he is the rudder, he is at the helm, and his word provides for us a panel of instruments. Dostoevsky said, but if God is dead, then all things are permissible. But I'm here to declare to you this morning, he's not dead. He's alive. The grave is empty and his word is alive. His word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. You've heard me say a number of times, there's a lot of books you can read. There's only one book that reads you. And that is the word of God. And I believe with all my heart that God's word being alive is about to speak into your present circumstance. Are you ready? Psalm 38, look what he says. A Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. If you're a parent, there's probably been times in your life where the, the, the kids are just driving you nuts, or maybe to the extent where you've sent them to their room, and there's some punishment that's about to go down, but you know before it does, you got to cool down. And this is exactly David's prayer. He's like, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't chasten me in your hot displeasure. That would be more than I could take. I wouldn't be able to handle your arrows. So uh, Pastor Rogers, big time into arrows. In fact, he gave me these. He's like, he's like, Bob, just hold these up. And I'm like, and, and he made these. I guess he made these, you know. And, and, and I was just sort of like, yeah, your arrows pierce me deeply, David says. Is, is that like, um, that is emotional. He's just sort of like, and what David is hoping for is somehow, in some way, someone, 
would step in, would step into harm's way, would, would actually, and this is what happened on the cross. This is why next weekend we will celebrate communion, realizing that is our true freedom. That as he took our place on the cross, he endured and absorbed the arrows that were being shot at him on our behalf. He didn't deserve any of that. We did. And so as, as much as the arrows are, are, are this graphic, graphic, can you just imagine God pulling back the bow? Like if Raj gave me the bow to go along with the arrows, and now David is saying, I, I feel as if you are pulling back your bow and you're firing your arrows. Your arrows pierced me. And, and here we have the, listen, we have the privilege and luxury of looking at the 38th Psalm through the historical accomplishment of what's taken place for us on the cross. That Jesus stepped in to harm's way and he took the blows that we deserved. He took the arrows. He felt, as David says in verse two, your hand pressing me down. I mean, Jesus felt that on the cross to the extent that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, that, that, that hand being pressed down, that, that punishment, that, that wrath, that has all been faced on our behalf by Jesus Christ on the cross. David is writing, hoping for that day. We're able to read this together this morning, rejoicing in what the Lord has done. David says in verse three, there is no soundness in my flesh. This is a, a great place to get to. This really is true freedom. To finally come to a, a, a place in your personal life, there is no, there's no, there is nothing makes sense in and of myself. Nothing, nothing makes, and, 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 and it's, it's like the Lord is allowing David to go through this process that he would come to this full realization, and, and here's what he realizes. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Hello. Not many preachers or churches these days that are talking about sin. And here David does. He, he just lays it out. He's not passing the buck. He's not focusing the blame on something else or somewhere else. Or if my daddy had loved me more, if it had gone better in preschool. He's like, no, I'm the cause of this mess that I'm in. It's because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head, David writes. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. He's like, I, I can't manage. I cannot cope. I can't get through this on my own. I need you to be my rudder. I need you at the helm. I need your instruments to guide and lead. I need, a, I need to be anchored from above. It's the only way that David, and all of us for that matter, can make it through. It's, like, it's just too much for me. It's too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Is that some amazing alliteration? You're like, Bob, that's where you get it, right? That's exactly where I get it, right there. There, there is a line of alliteration. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. 
and I am bowed down greatly. Get that, you guys. He's just not like going through the motions of attending church and singing the song and saying, I surrender. He's, he's bowing down. He is bowing down greatly before the mercy and forgiveness and grace of Almighty God. It's Jen Johnson. I think it's Jen Johnson up at Bethel who has an amazing song, beautiful song. Download it this afternoon. Listen to it. She talks about this. I think it's called, I Bow Before You. I bow before you. And, and here David does. David says, I am bowed down greatly. So, get this. He's living amongst troubled times. He's like, I am, I'm, I'm filled with anxiety. I am, I'm super big time burdened and troubled. Literally, verse 6, I am bent over, he says. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you. He just, he just opens up like he's confessing it all. He is repenting, he's, he's turning, he's, 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 re, he's regretful, he's remorseful. He's being super transparent and honest here. Like, like we don't know exactly what the sin is. There's a lot that you could choose from in David's life. He's a mess. He's a royal mess. We're not exactly sure specifically which sin he's, but he's like, um, I am slayed by all this. I'm, I'm just, I'm feeble, severely broken. Uh, I groan because of the turmoil of my, my heart, Lord. And my desire is before you. That you're the healer, that you're the great physician, that you're the, you're the fixer of all this. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails, and as for the light of my eyes, it's also gone from me. Lights out. My loved ones, look at this. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. Like they want nothing to do with me. Even, even my, my friends and my, my relatives have written me off. All my relatives stand afar off. And those who seek my life, they lay snares for me. And those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. Again, I think, I, I think the reality of the picture that David is painting is so crucifixion-esque. He's like, didn't Jesus go through all of this? Yes, not only did he take all of the wrath and the punishment of our sins and bore into his own sinless body the sting and the pain and, 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 and the judgment of God for, for our sins not only that, but everybody's lying about him. There's these false witnesses. And where do his friends go? Beelined it, man, out of town. They bailed. And here David is, is describing exactly that. Loved ones, friends, no one wants anything to do. He's just like, I'm, I'm all alone. I'm like a deaf man. I don't hear. I'm like a mute who doesn't open his mouth. Thus I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. Remember, as Jesus is being hurled with these so unsubstantiated 
accusations, he opened not his mouth. Right? Do you remember this? Isaiah 53 says, he opened not his mouth in silence like a lamb led to the slaughter. So again, just so, so picturesque, so, 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 so amazing. And yet some of you are like, yeah, but so dark and so bleak and so, Bob, I just, I kind of want, you're just like, where's the, you know, feel good, happy Sunday morning message? This is it. This is how you get healed. Y'all just want sugar for Sunday. I know. This is the medicine that makes you well. David knows it. And so he says in the midst of all of it, he says, look at verse 15, he says, for in you, O Lord, I hope. You're my hope. You're my healer. You can mend this mess that I have made. Not just the wickedness of the world around me and his fault and her fault and that and this and, 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 and pointing. You can only point fingers for so long. He's ultimately, he's just like, you could heal this, fix this, save this, forgive this, for in you and in you alone I hope. Not in the elections, not in a political party or system or in you, O Lord, I hope. And you will, you will hear, you will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me. Lest when my foot slips, not if, but when. We all fall, we all slip. You've heard it said, sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Not, not if this, when this happens, who are you going to call? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe? When my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. But I, I, I hope in you. I trust in you, Lord. I'm ready to fall. It's like, it's like at the brink here. And my sorrow is continually before me, for I will declare my iniquity. This has just become sadly so rare that anyone ever comes to a point of being willing to admit anything. Everybody wants to plead not guilty. David says, I'm guilty. And I, he writes it down. I declare my iniquity. That's the best thing. Listen to me. That's the best thing you could do. You want the fix? You want the mend? You want the healing? It's right here, Psalm 38. Don't go around it. Don't jump over it. Go, go right to it and be anchored from above. I declare my iniquity. I, I will be in anguish over my sin. Not their sin, not their mess, my, my mess, my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and they are strong and those who hate me, they wrongfully have multiplied. Those who render evil for good, isn't that the days we're living in right now? Everyone wants to call evil good. And good evil. They are my 
adversaries because I follow what is good. How about you? How about you just saying, I'm going to follow what's good. I'm going to let this be my rudder. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to promote him. I'm going to place him at the helm. I'm going to be anchored from above. I'm going to trust in his instruments, in this that is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. I'm going to follow what is good. And then he says this. Here's his declaration. He says this, verse 21. Do not forsake me, O Lord. And that's the Lord's promise, right? I will never leave you. Guys, listen. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. We have that, take that to the bank. We have that to count on. David is just hoping for that. We have been assured of that by the very words and promise of Jesus. I will never leave you guys. I'm with you. Don't forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, my salvation. What a psalm. And so we add this psalm. It's like a new category for us. And there's some psalms that we love that are, that are psalms of praise. Here's the list that we've come up with so far. You've got psalms of praise. And we love those. We cheer for those. We're happy with it. It's like our hands are lifted high. And our hands lifted high. We come before. Right, Sienna? We rejoice. It's like psalms of praise. But those aren't all the psalms. There's psalms of prayer. And I'm the grandpa in the room, and I'm teaching the grandkids, okay, let's fold our hands, and let's bow our heads. There's psalms of praise where our hands are high. There's psalms of prayer where our hands are folded. There's prostrate psalms where you're just out spread before the Lord on your knees, hands up. Not, not hands high in praise, hands up in surrender. Hands up to surrendering to the Lord. And then there's Psalms of prophecy, like a prophetic word in the midst of the storm that God will be faithful to see you through, get you to the other side. And, and, our, and our hands are out. We're inviting people to believe him for his promises or we're pointing to the future and we're proclaiming what God has promised to fulfill and accomplish. You want a word of prophecy? Here's a word of prophecy. There will come a day. Whew. There will come a day when abortion is not only rare, it is unthinkable. That day is coming, church. Hallelujah. And that's not, that's not me. That's not my wishful thinking. That's not, oh, Bob's a fortune teller. That is the promise of Scripture that his kingdom will come. And his will will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. And, and I, I know the nation is split down the middle right now on this whole deal. But this is the camp that you want to be in. This is the team that you want to be for. And I know generationally speaking, there are so many that are just so confused. But there will come a day, mark my words, where it's not only rare, it will be completely un. That's a word of prophecy. There are psalms of prophecy, and you're, you're inviting your friends. Your hands are extended. They're out. They're like, join the team. Follow Jesus. And, and then there's psalms of punishment. And the punishment psalms are hands off. He's the judge. 
We don't venture into that. Those are the Psalms you keep on a shelf. And you trust the ultimate outcome to him. He's the judge. And then now there's a psalm of penitence. And that's what David is doing here. He's just crying out to the Lord over his sin, over the sorrowness and regret. And he he, he repents before the Lord. And this becomes, for all intents and purposes, it becomes David's hospital psalm. Because he's sick, man. And he's like, I need mending. I, I, I need to be healed. Which my wife did too. And she was down at Scripps Mercy and went through surgery. And a lot of you know the story. She had, she had a kidney stone. And uh, she's like just in unbearable pain. This was back in March. And so she rushed into urgent care. And she's like, oh, I think it's a kidney stone. It's just like a bad pain. And I've had those. It's horrific. It's horrible. Talked to a guy. He's like, I've been stabbed. I've been shot. And I had kidney stones. Kidney stones are the worst. So they do a CAT scan, and they're like, yeah, you got some kidney stones. And she's like, yeah, but a lot of the pain is in the front. And they're like, no, 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 kidney stone pain is in the back. She says, no, there's pain right here in the front. Well, we better do a second CAT scan. They do a second CAT scan, and they realize, because they could have just masked this whole thing and sent her home with some pain meds for the kidney stones. They did a second CAT scan, and they found out that she has a ruptured appendix. It had ruptured. It had burst. And they take her in for emergency surgery. And in the midst of discovering the ruptured appendix, they found a mass on her kidney. They found a tumor that, again, they, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And um, it sounds a little crazy that we're praising him for a ruptured appendix, but that's how they found the mass on her kidney. So now she's gone in to have the mass removed, and the thing had its own blood supply. This is too, too much information. But if it has its own blood supply, then 80%, 80% plus, if it has its own supply of life, that's, that's a sign of cancer. And so um, I shared a lot of it last weekend for Father's Day because into the story is she had the surgery and the kidneys removed and the mass is gone and Bonnie's benign. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. So she's down there, she's four days at Scripps Mercy, and so I'm hanging out back and forth, back and forth, church, home, mercy, church, home, mercy, church, home, mercy. And I'm like, I want to know a little bit about this place. And this is a pretty fascinating story in the sense that Scripps Mercy was the first hospital in San Diego. It was the very first one. It was founded in 1890, you guys. 1890, it was called St. Francis. St. Francis Hospital. It was started by two nuns who had 50 bucks between them. And felt the calling of God to come and start the first hospital in San Diego. And they were called the Sisters of Mercy. Which then later it was renamed from St. Francis to Mercy Hospital because of these two sisters, these two nuns. And uh, it's still Mercy Hospital to this day. It was the first hospital in San Diego. And it was the first accredited surgical hospital, the first one accredited west of the Mississippi. And so they started treating people. The first patient was this dude who was deathly sick with malaria. And, uh, you know, so I'm down there and, and, and the nuns are still there. The, 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 the convent is still there and the chapel's still there and the church is still on the grounds and 
The nuns still roam the hallway, not so much from a medical standpoint any longer, although they did for decades, but now more of a spiritual side of the whole thing. And you're like, fine and well, I got dressed and drove here, and now my hospital trivia is... No, no, no. No, this psalm, this is, this is David's trauma center. This is like David's level one trauma hospital of a song. This is where we go when we realize we need healed. We need a physician. We go to Dr. Jesus. And we confess and and we repent. And with great remorse, we are sorrowful for the mess that we've made. We don't place the blame on others. We don't play the victim card. We fess up. This is because of me, David says. And he, he senses the strong displeasure of God because of the sins that he has committed. And yet, he's not running away from God. He's running to God. He's checking himself in. He's drawing near and he's bringing with him the full weight of his sin because he's believing in the compassion and mercy and loving forgiveness of God. He is is rejecting his Adam instincts. Hello. Because what we know about Adam is that Adam would have run. What we know about Adam is Adam would have hid. David doesn't run. If he's running, he's running to the Lord, begging for forgiveness. Adam runs the other way and and, and hides. Here there's no hiding. There is full transparency on behalf of David, which teaches us so well in this psalm. Contrast that with King Saul, who David now is being groomed to replace. Because King Saul also would have deflected the whole deal. He would, have, he would have denied the whole deal. David doesn't deflect. Like, like, like the arrows for Saul would have like been ricocheting off the, the, the rock hardness of his heart. No, here David declares, it's, it's, it's me. And yet he has this amazing glimmer of hope that in the midst of his confession, he's got a God who has not given up on him. And he declares in verse 15, for in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord, my God. Please note that. Look at it closely in your Bible. Hopefully you have a good study Bible so that in verse 15, when you hit the word LORD, it's in all caps. All caps, you guys. For in you, O Lord, all caps. Why all caps? Because that's God's name. He's using the name Yahweh. Yahweh, God of all gods. Jehovah Yahweh. In you, O Lord, all caps. You got all caps in your Bible? Because if not, you need a new Bible. Get a, go to the bookshop and get a new Bible. 
incidentally, we're moving the bookshop because some people are like, I can never find the bookshop. He plugs these books and then I don't. The bookshop is moving. The bookshop is moving from the farthest corner over there to right outside the sanctuary. Like if I plug a book or I tell you about a song that you need to download and listen to, now when you leave the sanctuary, you literally are going to trip over the bookshop on your way out. It's going to be right there. And then, and then the office, that's also kind of hard to find. Like if you're new, you're like, I'm new here. Where's the office? It's kind of hard to find. Now the office will be in the spot of the old bookshop. Like you'll pull into the parking lot and know exactly where to go. And when you leave church, you want a coffee and a book or a song, you know exactly where to go. So if you don't have it all capped in your Bible, time for a new Bible. He's like, Lord, Yahweh, for in you, O Lord, all caps, I hope, you will hear, O Lord, not all caps, not all caps. It's a different word for God. It's a different name, Adonai. He's pulling out every name for the nature and characteristics of God he can possibly remember. In you, Yahweh, Jehovah, I hope you will hear Adonai, my God, personalized, my God, Elohim, every name he can remember. And he wraps up in the same way at the end of the psalm that he declares in verse 15. Look at the end, verse 21. He's like, don't forsake me, O Lord, all caps, All caps, Yahweh. Oh my God. Oh my God. My God. My God. Elohim. Don't be far from me. Make haste to to help me. Oh Lord. Not all caps. Different word. Adonai. My salvation. You might not be feeling it emotionally. He's in a mess. We're not exactly sure what mess this is he's referring to. But even though he might not be feeling it, he's believing it. He's trusting with all of all that he is God. And I, I'm, I'm just so much wanting to say this to you guys. I'm, wanting, I'm just wanting to say this. I'm wanting to say if you have his presence, the almighty presence, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, Jesus of Nazareth. If you have his presence, you can endure anything. Put him at the helm. Give him the wheel. Trust him to be the rudder, providentially, sovereignly, getting you through the storms of life safely to the other side. Let his word be your instrument panel. If you have his presence, you can make it through. He looks to the Lord with that heart, with that urgency, and he calls upon the name of his Lord. You can only blame others for something. You can only, this is not a Sikkim psalm. Remember the Sikkim psalm? He's like, Sikkim God, go get him. My enemy's driving me to, go Sikkim Lord. This isn't a Sikkim, this is a me sick psalm. This is instead of Sikkim, he takes the word M, E-M, Sikkim, and he, he turns it around from M to me, E-M, M-E, and he puts it in front, me sick. This is a me sick psalm instead of a Sikkim psalm because you can only blame Biden for so long or Trump. Everybody happy now? <laughs> or Newsom. Or Putin. You've got to finally be honest 
and acknowledge. And, and I realize um, there's some serious soul searching that becomes the result of studying a psalm such as Psalm 38. And yet that's so healing. It will set you free. That instead of passing the buck and placing the blame for all the divorces and all the losses and all the bosses that you worked for that you can't stand and all the churches that you left, what was the common denominator in all of that? Because <laughs> you will never know him to be a great savior until, like David in the 38th Psalm, you're willing to admit you're a great sinner. Admitting you're a great sinner is what allows you to experience him as your great savior. I have a couple of books, fixtures on my desk, both written by Eric Metaxas, wonderful author, dear brother and friend, did Easter with us a couple of years ago, although it was online, maybe we can get him here live, but one of those books is, is his book uh, on Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who ultimately was put to death because he entered into the plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. It's an absolute masterpiece. And I highly recommend it to you. Grab it in the bookshop if you can find it. Um, and the other book is, is McTaxis wrote a book about Martin Luther. And uh, Martin Luther had a, a, a deep disliking for the Pope. And, uh, and both of these are just absolutely brilliant, brilliant books. Add them to your summer reading it would be, it would bless you. It'd be, it'd be great. And one of the quotes, here's a quote from the Bonhoeffer book where Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. This is like sort of the autobiographical quote of his life. Look what he says. I mean, how contemporary is this quote? He says, if I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't as a Christian Simply wait for the catastrophe and then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. And that's exactly what Bonhoeffer does. He devoted his life to doing his darndest to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of Hitler. We can't be so passive as to just let the catastrophe occur and then bandage the wounded and bury the dead. We've got to get involved, Bonhoeffer says. And then a great quote from Luther's book. Luther, who had a distrust and disliking for the Pope, actually said this. Look what he said. I am far more terrified of my own heart than of the Pope, than of the Pope and all of his cardinals. For I have within me the great Pope, myself. And what David is realizing in Psalm 38, what he's helping us to realize is that the one that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is most concerned about 
is the one who is staring back at him every morning when he looks in the mirror. This is David's confession of all the enemies that David has faced. The greatest enemy of all is the one that he wakes up to every morning. Who's looking at him in the mirror. This is his biggest problem. This is by far the enemy from within. And allowing that just to percolate in your heart, just to marinate, just to say, oh, it's not them and it's not that and it's not. There's another great book, a book by Scott Sauls. Scott Sauls uh, has been around long enough in his ministries to be blessed and to be burned and to be blessed again and to be burned again. And now he's the senior pastor over in Nashville, which a big chunk of our congregation has moved to. And they always write me and say, I can't find a church like Horizon, so maybe this is it. Scott Sauls. And uh, I just want to read you what he says. He says, mercy reveals itself through weariness. Okay, that's clutch because there's a lot in San Diego, in America, in North County, in the ranch that want to insulate themselves from ever being weary or weak. But mercy, mercy reveals itself through weariness. Scott says, I'm not alone in realizing this. Many of the world's greatest souls became their best selves not in spite of, but because of their distress. Did you get that? Because again, this is, this is something culturally that we've been taught to avoid like the plague. Listen, many of the world's greatest souls became their best selves, not in spite of, but because of their distress. Cowper There's a name for you to Google, C-O-W-P-E-R. Cowper wrote hopeful hymns and Van Gogh brushed epic paintings while both were contemplating suicide. Spurgeon preached some of his best sermons when he was most depressed. Lincoln, Churchill, King, all battled with melancholy. Beethoven went deaf. C.S. Lewis buried his wife after a short, cancer-ridden marriage. Victor Frankl, Weisel, Corrie ten Boom all survived the Holocaust. Anne Voskamp lost her sister, and Joni Erickson taught her ability to walk because of tragic accidents. This is a great book. This book is called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. So far from us feeling picked on when life doesn't quite go perfectly our way, just listen to this list. Christine Kane suffered abuse and was abandoned by her parents. Tim Keller got incurable cancer. John Perkins entered jail in beatings and death threats by white supremacists. In this axiom 
that beautiful people don't just happen also demands our attention from the pages of Scripture. Job lost 10 kids. His wife's affection, his livelihood, and his reputation all in one day. Moses stuttered and Jacob limped and Sarah was infertile. Tamar and Bathsheba were assaulted and David was betrayed by his own son. Hosea's wife fell into prostitution, as did Rahab. Ruth was widowed in her youth and Mordecai was belittled and bullied. Jeremiah battled depression, as did Elijah. Gideon doubted God and so did Thomas. Mary and Joseph sought asylum from a reign of terror. Mary and Martha buried their brother. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Peter hated himself, and Jesus wept. Welcome to Christianity. Thomas Cole is the guy that Spurgeon quoted. And Cole says, if you're going to delve into the pit of sin, if you're going to venture into that deep, dark cave, make sure there's a rope tied around your waist, and at the other end, the rope is being held by Jesus Christ. That's our hope, church. That's Hebrews chapter 6. Look at this. Hang with me. We're almost done, but you don't want to miss this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. We are anchored from above. We're anchored from above. We have a hope as an anchor for the soul, both both sure and steadfast, which enters into the presence, that's above, the presence of God, the holy mercy seat and throne of God is where your anchor is tied where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, who became the high priest forever. We are anchored from above. Don't be anchoring here. There is no hope here. If you've ever, look at, look at this. this. This is a picture you'll get on the way out that I hope you just tuck into your Bible right there in the 38th Psalm. But it's a picture of an upside-down anchor. Do you know what that means? If you're like on a boat, like on a Sunday afternoon, you go for a boat ride and you see a sign with an, like you go to Lake Hodges, is there still water in Lake Hodges? And you see this upside, you know what that upside down anchor means? Do you know what this means? It means don't anchor here. That'll preach. Don't anchor here. Anchor there, anchor, be anchored from above. It's like Jesus enters into the very presence of God, having fully accomplished and atoned for our sins, and attaches the anchor to the throne of God and lowers a rope. Like, who wants to be the first one to climb the rope? Like, this is what it means to be anchored from above. And it isn't a rope that he drops. It's himself with a right arm of salvation and says to a fallen and sinful and broken world, grab on. 
with all you've got. And trust me, be the one that will see you through and get you home. Come on, church. Amen to that. Hallelujah. So the only way to be anchored from above is to hand it all over. Hand it over. Your sin. All of it. All of you. For all of your life. Because like David, we've sinned. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But he hasn't written us off. He's dropped a rope with an anchor that is firmly secured and attached to his grace and his mercy. None of us are perfect. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the glorious thing. He loves you. And he has sent his son to be our savior. And he sacrificed on the cross, took the very arrows of God's wrath and erases our sentence and sets us free. I don't know if you've seen this little quote, but it grabbed my heart this week. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why all these people rush about and oh so worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, oh friend, I think that it must be they have no God in heaven such as cares for you and me. Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Lord, that quote for us would only represent those who have not grabbed hold of your rope. Trusting in all that you have accomplished for us. So I pray that, Lord, we would be anchored from above and that like David, we would cry out to you to make haste and to help us, Lord, God of my salvation. We bow before you, Lord, and we ask you to graciously forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to fix us, to mend us, to heal us, to wash us, Lord, white as snow. Fill us with your Holy Spirit comfort our hearts and to, and to help us through the storms and the turbulence of this world. Write our name, Lord, in the Lamb's book of life and prepare a place for us to spend eternity with you in glory forever, for we proclaim you to be our Savior, our Lord, our rope, our salvation, our anchor, our hope, both now and forever in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Amen.